Stories capture our imagination, don't they? They move us, they change us, they sweep us along. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis said that we have God, shaped, God has shaped our human mind and imagination to be receptive to stories. They're powerful. They're compelling. They're alluring. As we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, we've been seeing this grand story. The story of God's grace and peace found in Jesus. It's a story that people are invited into where they can get every spiritual blessing. It's a story of God's gracious gift of God who made those who were dead in sin alive. Through Jesus' blood, we're taken from darkness to light. It's a story that brings people together in unity. As I look out into this congregation, I love hearing the stories of people who have come to Christ. The way that God has graciously worked in your lives. It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. But we live in a world, don't we, with many competing stories. Just stop and think for a moment with the conversations you've had at work this week. Maybe with your colleagues. Maybe it's just conversations with friends. Maybe it's been out the pub or maybe it's out at lunch or a cafe or maybe you're overhearing uh, different conversations that's going on around you. Maybe it's just through social media or the news. There are lots of competing stories. Some are very subtle. Some are screaming at you. The problem is they're alluring. There's one particular story at the moment that is very powerful and has captured the imagination of many in our culture. Expressive individualism. That in order to be fulfilled, in order to be the authentic person that you're meant to be, to be truly who you are, you've got to reject every other voice and look deep inside yourself. To figure out how to lead your life at the moment, look inside the most important answers are found deep inside you you do you the self-made self it's a very luring message it's seen in all sorts of places our media our tv shows the best way to find happiness look inside the highest form of a got the highest goal in life is happiness. All external authorities are to be rejected. God, let's just rip him off. You find the answers inside. And because of all that, all our moral judgments just are merely expressions of how we feel or personal preference. It's a very alluring message. It's one that we swim in. And the problem is, as you go swimming in a chlorine pool, you come out and your skin still smells of it for some time. Friends, how are we to live in this world? 
How are we to walk in this world, knowing that there are all these messages out there? Maybe we should just get a holy huddle together. Let's sell all our houses. Let's uh, go and buy a block of land somewhere, and we'll just cut ourselves off. That way we won't be swept over by these messages. Today's passage, Paul wants us to think about how we navigate walking in this world. And his answer is, walk in the light. Well, for those who have just joined us, this series in the book of Ephesians has been a great book. And it's been a great picture just hearing how God has worked in people's lives. From chapter 4, if you're following in your Bibles, you'll notice there is a great call there to walk worthy of your calling. This language starts of walking, of living a life worthy of your calling. Last week, Luke very helpfully uh, showed us how that we are to put off the things uh, that we used to live and put on, to have renewed minds. And he spoke about three areas of speech, anger and stealing. Inside our church, we are to be people who walk this way. And Luke finished, if you have your Bibles open there in chapter 5, verse 1, he finished off with his great little summary statement. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The summary of last week, walk in love. Be imitators of our God. Just as God is love, and we as his beloved children ought to reflect his image. We are to be people who walk in love. Just like Christ loved us, he gave himself up on that cross that we might live for him. In many ways, today's passage starts almost at the exact opposite, doesn't it? Uh, There's that call to walk in love, but everything in this first part of the passage talks about not self-sacrifice, but the very opposite, self-indulgence. From genuine love to lust and greed. Have a look with me in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Just as we've been encouraged Uh, Paul encouraged the Ephesians to live lives modelled on Christ's love. Uh, Here, he points out that the world, the messages of the world, of sexual immorality and impurity and greed, these are the things that we ought to avoid. Let's just think briefly for a moment. Sexual immorality. Uh, It comes from the Greek word pornea and is used by the early church to think about that sinful activity of having sexual intercourse outside of marriage think of the messages that we read see and hear at the moment in our sex crazed world the great freedom that is cried out that it's okay to sleep around paul says it ought not to be proper among us not only that all impurity Although the word impurity has, again, this association with sexual immorality, 
It actually kind of has this, because of the word all there, has, has more than that. Paul has in mind anything that is unholy. And the last of the three words, covetousness, that is greed. That insatiable desire to have want more and more. Again, can be linked in with immorality of the ancient world of wanting more and more, having a heart set on possessions or, or sex. Paul says these three things, sexual immorality, impurity and greed, they ought not to be amongst us as, see that word there, saints, as those who are holy, those who have been set apart, those who have been called by what Christ has done, by his great mercy. Paul says, it must not even be named among you. I'm not sure that Paul has in mind that I shouldn't say those words. Otherwise, I would be breaking that. But there is this idea here that the more we talk about these things and view these things, they build up all sorts of desires inside of us. They capture our hearts. And so Paul says, flee them. Do not even be named among you as proper among saints well in verse 4 he adds inappropriate speaking again the way that we speak is inappropriate let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place not only we avoid doing and thinking but we are to avoid speaking That talking that is fueled amongst us. Uh, gossip, a, a speaking crude, listening to crude jokes, a foolish talk, filthiness, all these things. Again, reflect on the week that's been. What is interesting in this list of sexual immorality, impurity and covetousness, uh, of the way that we speak. It would be easy to kind of go at this point, Paul's just been a killjoy. Surely we live in an age of freedom. See, Paul, I think at this point says, it ought not to be amongst us because what it takes is the good things of God and debases them. It it takes away the great, uh, degrades them. I think of sex, the great gift of God. That great gift that God has given a married couple. Sexual immorality uh, sees that in a, in a, a marginalizing, trivializing way. It takes these things that are good and demeans them. The way that we speak to one another is the way that we see another. Where again we trivialize and marginalize, despising God's people and the image that is in them. Paul says no. It ought to have no place amongst us. But look at the second part there of verse 4, where he talks about the positive. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Paul says, stop, flee doing those things, but instead pursue thanksgiving. Reflect on our gracious God. 
that great and giving God and the good gifts that he does give. Reflect on those things and have an attitude of thanksgiving. I was listening to a talk about this passage this week and he made the point that he's been trying to work on any time that he's involved in a conversation or watching something or eating something or whatever he's doing, wherever he is or thinking, can he at that point say, thank you God for this? This conversation that I'm in at the moment, thank you God for that. This meal, this cafe, this, this text I'm about to send, thank you Lord for this. The last two verses, Paul has highlighted that sexual immorality, impurity, greed, vulgar and foolish speech and coarse joking, these are not to be found amongst us, but an attitude of thanksgiving. In the next two verses, Paul gives two strong warnings. Have a look there with me in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul makes it very clear here that there is no inheritance for those who live this way. Did you note the way that the greedy person, uh, the, the way that Paul describes them as an idolater, the way that the things that they worship changes from being worshipping the true and living God to things, people and sex. Paul says there is no inheritance for those. Have a look at the next warning that comes in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Not only is there no inheritance, but those that live this way are under the wrath of God. God's righteous anger and judgment. To be under God's wrath is a terrible thing. Did you notice there that there are those obviously in the congregation who are trying to suggest otherwise? Did you see the first part there? Let no one deceive you with empty words. Think of all the messages again that bombard us daily, trying to deceive and lure you with their sweet songs, their sweet messages. Paul says, do not be deceived by them. Do you know our churches are under the same pressure, aren't they? Surely we've progressed from the old-fashioned Paul, you know, that was so long ago. This is a time of freedom. Paul says, no. There is no inheritance in the kingdom of God. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so Paul says in verse 7, do not become partners. Do not become partners with them. Be careful, he's not saying to go into our little holy huddle. What he's saying is have no part in what they do. Have no part in the the actions and the the words and the, and the, the way that they live. In this section, Paul has made it very clear that we are in this great relationship with God. We have a position of children's, which means it ought to reflect our character. 
we ought to reflect the character of our Father. Just as He is loving, we ought to be people who avoid these things of sexual immorality, of impurity, of greed, of speech. It matters how we live. As our new relationship with God is rooted in Christ's sacrificial death, it's an insult to his work that we should pursue the life he died to provide. Paul now moves on in verses 8 to the end with this brilliant little metaphor of light and dark. The contrast of the way that we were, the way that we are, of darkness and light. Uh, Look with me in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. When I was in my teenage years, my father used to take me rock climbing, abseiling and caving. And there is a brilliant cave called Tuglo Caves out near Oberon. You spend nine hours underground. You abseil through a little hole in the ground. And you keep on going, working your way down further and further. And you get to an underground river. It's spectacular. And then you follow this underground river, you know, at different points, kind of crawling through little gaps. And you come to this underground waterfall. It's spectacular. But I vividly remember being down in the bowels of the earth. Dad said, let's just turn off all our lights. So down deep in the ground, we turned off all our lights. It was dark. It was really dark. There was no light. Paul makes this contrast here. Darkness is the absence of light. There's no torchlight shining there. And light is the absence of darkness. Paul's not talking about the shades of grey, but he's talking about polar opposites here. You can't mix the two together. It's light or darkness. Once you've changed, you've changed. At the moment in the NBA, there's lots of changing of clubs. Uh, I love my sport and I love the way that you kind of pull on a jersey. But nowadays, there's not quite the same loyalty, is there, in our clubs, whether it's rugby league or soccer or AFL or whatever sport you follow. Uh, You pull on your jersey, but if someone offers you more money, you throw that off and you put on a new jersey. Paul says we've changed teams. We've gone from darkness to light. There's been a cosmic change in the life of the Ephesians. This change from darkness to light means they need to walk as children of light. Have a look at verse 9 with me. Look at the fruit of this walking. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. All that is good, all that is caring for others, the welfare and acting on behalf of others, those good things, that's the fruit of light. Those things that are righteous and upright and consistent, those things that are true, they're the things that we are to reflect on. They're the fruit that we ought to bear. We ought to not 
produce the works of darkness. But it requires us working hard, doesn't it? It requires us, with God's help, to discern what this looks like. Have a look at verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We need to work at this. We need to encourage each other. We need to keep on coming back to God's word and allowing it to wash over us with that story. Paul says in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Paul makes it very clear again, don't partner with them. Don't allow these stories to take root in your hearts. Know that you are children of light. On the final section here, Paul talks about not only are we to be people of light, walking in light, but there is another purpose of light. Light exposes. It lights up. One of the great delights also growing up on a farm was having bonfires. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a large bonfire on a farm somewhere. It is fantastic. Uh, You would spend weeks kind of loading up all the wood onto this big pile, all the old stumps and and palings and anything else, and you would throw it on there. And then late in the afternoon, you'd start it going, and by the time it was dark, you'd stumble in the darkness, but you knew there was this great beacon up ahead. And you would keep on walking towards that beacon, that great big bonfire. And when you got there, the light was brilliant from this fire. I think the last section of our passage, Paul is saying to us, be the bonfire. Be people who shine out light for those around you. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible in the light, uh, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be people who shine. That those that are in our lives, our, our work colleagues and those around us might see those good works. They might see the way that we live as a light. There seems to me a few implications. Maybe you're someone sitting here today uh, who has been listening to the stories of this world and you feel tired by them. Uh, You've been looking for a better story. It's interesting in our world at the moment that there is a dissatisfaction with expressive individualism. Where people are going, there must be a better story out there. Maybe you're one of those people that you know that there is a better story. Can I encourage you, walk in the light. Go and talk to someone about that better story found in Christ. Walk in the light. Maybe you're someone that knows that story. You've, you've stepped into that story. 
But you know that there are areas that you've allowed uh, the voices of this world to creep in. You know that with great shame, there are areas that you are not happy with. Even this week, the things that we've seen or, or spoken about or been involved in. Walk in the light. Don't be involved and get rid of these things. Put, put off sexual immorality and greed and inappropriate humor. But instead, put on the goodness, the righteousness and truth in every area of our lives. God has given us a tremendous gift of identity, of being people who are light and saints. Allow that to change. Allow that to give you an attitude of thanksgiving. Walk in the light. Know that there is forgiveness. And finally, I wonder if there are those amongst us that we know are our friends, brothers and sisters that are struggling in areas. That they're they're struggling in sinful practices, slipping into sinful patterns of behavior. Let's be bonfires. Let's walk in the light with them. Of course, this needs to be done with great deal of wisdom, a right kind of sensitivity. But it's something that we ought to do for the sake of the other, of encouraging and walking with them. This passage is a tough passage. It calls us to think carefully about where we live and how we live. The way that we engage with our world. Let's pray that God will help us be people who walk in the light. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great light of your son Jesus who shone. uh, Who gave his life that we might have life with you. We pray, Father, that you might help us to walk in light, to be imitators of your Son, to be people who flee the messages of this world, but to be people of goodness, righteousness and truth. We pray that you help us to be people of thanksgiving for the good things that you give us. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.